Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Casual Man Catter, the point in the universe where cricket and obsession intersect. Today's episode of The Casual Man Catter, where basically the main point of contention today is discussing the first test between Australia and Pakistan. And so we'll be previewing that for you because when I'm recording this, it hasn't happened yet. So we're a couple of days away. So we'll look at the test match coming up and what may happen in this test and in this series over the next three weeks. Then we'll have a little discussion about the fact that um, Mitchell Johnson's come out on the front foot and uh, off the long run in questioning whether David Warner deserves a send, or not a send-off as such, he's already given him one really, but whether he deserves the perfect end to his career in Sydney uh, in the third test against Pakistan. And we'll just discuss both sides of that argument. And then we have the opening debate that's still going on for once David Warner does retire from the test side and who should it be? And we'll discuss exactly what's happened with that discussion this week and why these people are so wrong. So that's the agenda on today's edition of The Casual Man Catter, right here. Welcome to Five Nights at Freddy's. So we're almost off and racing finally in this summer of cricket in Australia with the test matches, which is generally what we're all looking to watch. It's not the Big Bash. It's not the bloody World Cup in India. It certainly isn't 2.20s from India at 12.30am in the morning. It's the Test Series. So this year we have the three Test Series against Pakistan, which comes up first, and then we have a two Test Series against the West Indies later in January. So the first Test starts in a couple of days' time, as I'm recording this, and it's in Perth. Now, we had a warm-up game, as such, over the past weekend, between Pakistan and the Prime Minister's 11. And although it was scheduled for four days, uh, on the night of the third day there was a so-called freak uh, weather storm and the water got under the covers and the whole fourth day was washed out, despite the fact I don't think it rained at all. But the problem with that game was is that there was a very slow wicket. It certainly isn't a wicket that you're going to expect in the three test matches coming out for Pakistan. So Pakistan's uh, captain, of course, has come out and he has more or less said what good was that for them as a practice match when the the wicket is definitely like nothing they're going to face. And he has a point. <clears throat> the problem being is that when Australia toured Pakistan last year, they got pretty much the same thing when they <laughs> played a warm-up game. The wicket that they got had nothing to do with the two wickets that they then faced in the Test Match series over there. So this is an ongoing thing in all countries now. The, there's very few warm-up games, and if there is one, the wicket that he's prepared is generally completely different to what you would expect to play on later on in the actual test matches. And in the long run, it's the boards who have to do something about this, and the players have to stand up for themselves. If they want 
certain wickets. They should be allowed to get them. If they want to play in certain conditions, they should be allowed to get them. If they want to play in the same city as they're about to play test matching, they should be allowed to do that. And that would be fair. Uh, whether it was actually going to ever happen seems very unlikely. So we move forward and we'll be in Perth for the first test coming up. Uh, it's at Optus Stadium, which is the big stadium, of course. It's not the Wacker, which would be the preferred option for anyone who is actually going over there to watch it, uh, because I can tell you from experience that it is the best ground to watch cricket on in the world, the Wacker. And, of course, the wickets are always fast. You get the Fremantle doctor in, and it's just terrific for cricket. Optus Stadium, over the last few years, the wicket has been a bit dire, really. Um, the test match there last year against the West Indies went well into the fifth day before Australia could finally pull off a victory. Uh, and... What they've shown today is a wicket that has a bit more green in it, and it looks as though it's going to be faster than uh, a couple of the last couple of wickets that have been over in Perth. But we won't really know until the game starts, of course. Now, does that help Pakistan or hinder Pakistan? Because you look at their squad, and their fast bowlers are pretty good. Um, Shaheen Shah Afridi, of course, is their main pace bowler over there. They're missing a couple from injury, which is unfortunate. Uh, but they have him to lead the attack, and then they've got a couple of other young kids coming in there. Hassan Ali, of course, will also be there. He's not expressed, but he's very experienced. Uh, and Mur Hamza has also been really good in recent times. So the good thing for Pakistan is that they have bowlers there who can do the job, and then they also have plenty of spinners there as well. Um, Sajid Khan is, is one who's is over there. Uh, you have... Um, the the young leg break, Abra Ahmed, who's also come in. Uh, so they've got enough options there uh, to cover whatever the wicket's going to do. Now, of course, if they were at full strength, with a full strength fast bowling lineup, they would be very, very difficult here. But it looks as though they're going to fall just short of that, which is unfortunate. But their batting is still pretty damn strong. Uh, it would be interesting to see who they pick, whether they pick Safraz Ahmed as the wicketkeeper batter or whether they go with Mohamed Rizwan uh, to fill that role who has been doing the job in one-day cricket and T20 cricket. Shan Masood takes over the captaincy from Barbara Azam, uh, so that will be a change of uh, tactics there you would expect going forward. Uh, Abdullah Shafiq has been batting well, so is Imam Ul-Haq. Uh, so... They have a solid batting lineup as well, uh, so they're not out of their depth completely. It's just that generally in Australia, Pakistan fail to measure up in the conditions and perhaps under the pressure that they are put under by the Australians at home, who do basically act like bullies on their home turf. So then we looked at the Australian team, which, you know, to be honest, uh, you would expect that it's going to be uh, a fairly... Similar lineup that has been there for some time. You'll have Warner and Kawaja opening, Labashane at three, Smith at four, Head at five. Mitch Marsh is going to likely be the number six. That hasn't been confirmed at this point in time, but you would have to expect that seeing as he did the job in England, that he will be the number six here. Alex Carey retains his place as the test keeper after being dropped from the one day team in the World Cup. And then you'll have. All the fast bowlers are fit, so Cummins, Hazelwood and Stark you'd expect to be the three fast bowlers alongside the returning Nathan Lyon, who of course was injured for the last three tests in England. Uh, he's completed his rehab and he's 
ready to go back again. So unless something goes terribly wrong, you would expect that to be the 11 going forward. Um, of course, uh, there's been some talk about Lance Morris making his debut and in Perth in his hometown. Uh, that would probably be the ideal place for him to make a debut. But the selectors don't really tend to mix around with the fast bowlers unless there's injury or problems with the amount that they're playing. And of course, at the moment, they all seem to be fairly fresh. So uh, Lance Morris is going to have to wait a little bit longer and probably on a wicket that won't be quite as friendly for him, perhaps, if he has to play in either Melbourne or Sydney. Of course, he may also debut in Brisbane sometime later this summer against the West Indies, and he might prefer those conditions. So yes, that's how we look at the moment moving into the first test. I don't think there's anyone out there who would be willing to back Pakistan to win this test or to win the series. Uh, like I said, uh, they have some very solid players in their lineup, and as we saw last year in Pakistan, 18 months ago, uh, they have the ability to bat deep, and their bowlers uh, generally are excellent. But it's not a full-strength bowling lineup, which in Australia is possibly the most important thing. It's not always your batters, but if you need a full-strength and varied bowling lineup to win in Australia, and Pakistan at the moment certainly have the variety, but it's not at full strength, which puts a lot of pressure on uh, Shahid Afridi. Uh, Afridi, sorry. He really does need to get early wickets in order to uh, break open that Australian batting and then hope that their spinners can come on and cause some havoc. I suspect that Australia will win the Test match and will win the series. Whether it's 3-0 or not, I don't know. It depends on what kind of wicket gets served up in Melbourne. If it's one like in recent times, which has a bit more juice in it, then you'd suspect that Australia will probably win there. And the Sydney Test well, has been uh, under threat of rain pretty much every year for about the last 10 years, it feels like. Uh, so whether it's a spinning surface or not will depend on how much rain we get in the next couple of weeks as well. So it's a pretty boring sort of preview, really, isn't it? It's not not something that's untoward. It doesn't feel like there's been a great build-up to the game. Uh, in fact, it's been the off-field talk that's been more uh, of an interest than the actual talking about the game itself. So seeing as that's the point, we may as well move on to that. So as I mentioned earlier, um, there has been some uh, <laughs> uh, interesting comments made by Mitchell Johnson in the press uh, last week in his column in the West Australian, and he's backed them up again apparently uh, today with further talk. He's basically come out off the long run and, and more or less questioned whether David Warner deserves the chance to nominate when he's going to finish in the test team given that his form over the last six months 12 months 24 months three years has not really been up to the standard that it was before and certainly not up to a standard that you would expect someone could nominate when they were going to finish I don't think that that was much of a problem I mean I, I think he was fair enough in that comment. And I think he's saying the same thing that a lot of people agree with, it, that David Warner's form 
doesn't mean that he's uh, an absolute lock to get picked in any test match. And of course, he was then named in the team anyway. But the problem then came about that he then went further. And it, it obviously became personal when he started bringing up Newlands again and saying that someone who had done something so dastardly as occurred at Newlands all those years ago now, uh, does he deserve to be recognised as an all-time great and be given the kind of reverence that he is being given in certain sections of the media and fandom? So, of course, that uh, ruffled a few feathers. Uh, Certainly, some of his current teammates came out in support of David Warner and said that 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 was unnecessary and unwarranted. Uh, Warner himself... Uh, at the Foxtel launch of the season, who he is employed by, more or less just said uh, everyone's entitled to their opinion and gave a a knowing smile and all that kind of stuff. So is it a bit of a storm in a teacup? It's it's interesting because the, the Newland stuff still simmers under the surface of everything that happens with any of those players who who played in that test match and in that series and around the team at that time. And it continues to be that, um, of course, Warner's manager, James Erskine, came out in the media and more or less all he said was, if anyone believes that there were only three people involved in the sandpaper uh, going on at Newlands, then they've got another thing coming, which suggests that there is still more to come out of the Warner camp about that sometime in the future. But, Will that be the case? Now, Warner was very smart when it comes to his um, chance to choose that he wants to go out of Test Cricket at Sydney after the third Test. He came out very early and nominated that that was when he wanted to finish his Test career. And so that put um, the question into the selectors' minds, can we possibly drop him? Because it then makes it look like we're doing it deliberately despite him, rather than allowing him to go through, no matter what his form is like, to get to that point. The thing for Warner has been that no one has really been outstanding to come and knock him out of place of the team. Um, But again, he's had enough chances to make enough runs to put his foot firmly in the door, But he hasn't done that either. So a selection panel has been given an opportunity, if they wanted to, to replace him with someone else, whether that be Cameron Bancroft or Marcus Harris or Matt Renshaw or someone else, which we'll get to in a second. Um, So in the long run, he scored enough runs in England at a couple of times to allow the selectors to more or less, if they were questioned, say, well, look, he's done this, he's done this. We think he deserves his spot in the team. He was just too smart for them. He came out and said, I'm going to finish in Sydney, and more or less said, I dare you to drop me. The Newland stuff is another issue, and yeah, as I said, we've covered that enough, um, and whether there is more to come or not. The thing is that David Warner has signed a contract with Fox Sports in Australia to commentate once he um, gives the game away, so he will be commentating very soon. So it seems unlikely that there'll be any new revelations coming anytime soon if he's going to be a commentator at the cricket, um, because that would more or less just put his employment in that regards in jeopardy, one would suspect, if he was going to create more controversy by throwing more of his teammates under the bus. 
as Cricket Australia continues to try and sweep everything else under the carpet. So, yeah, the two sides of it are very interesting. The Newland stuff is what it is, um, and that was very nasty from Johnson. There's no doubt about that. Um, whether he's whether you consider that he's right or not, that David Warner's uh, reputation is still sullied by that and by the other incidences in his career where he's been uh, uh, in controversial circumstances. But the fact that uh, he came out and said, does he deserve to have this farewell tour of the next three test matches? That was a fair enough uh, comment to write in an article if you are writing as an expert sort of a commentator in that respect, which is what he's being paid to do. Uh, it's just, I guess, it is just the nastiness of it that sort of makes you think there's more to this story between the two of them than we possibly know. Right, let's talk about this, and I'm going to try and remain calm as I talk about this because this is some of the most ridiculous sort of thoughts I've heard in regards to test cricket and selections for a very long time. So we're talking about last week where we had what they called a bat-off between Cameron Bancroft, Matthew Renshaw and Marcus Harris, who all got picked in the Prime Minister's eleven team to play against Pakistan, and in regards to the very soon-to-be-opening-up spot in the test team as the opener to bat with Usman Khawaja. And Bancroft made 49, Harris made 50, Renshaw made 130. It wasn't convincing. He was dropped a couple of times, got had a bit of luck. So all of them made runs. Out of the three of them over the past years, Bancroft has probably been the most consistent over the past three years, Marcus Harris has certainly scored more runs than any of them. And Matthew Renshaw continues to be look like the man who most people would like to see in the team because he was harshly dealt with when he was first in the test team. And he's still so young and has so many years ahead of him. So the decision as to who will replace Warner, and I did stick out my neck a few months ago, by saying that I think it will be Cameron Bancroft who gets the first crack at that role, even though I would like to see two of them come in and Kawaja move to six. That's for another episode. If you're interested in conversation, just look back a few episodes and you'll find it right there waiting for you. However, the media this week, and there have been disturbing uh, reports coming out of the Australian camp, not confirmed, and also from people who are on the periphery of the Australian camp, about doing something stupid, which is initially putting somebody else up in the team who's currently in the team up to open. Now, Travis Head's name was the first person thrown out there, and that was tried in India, which they decided was going to be a good thing to do. Of course, they didn't play him in the first test in India at all, <laughs> they went a completely different route and then he came in as a concussion substitute for David Warner and he played the last two tests there as an opener but then in England went back to his normal number five now thankfully uh, yesterday as I'm recording this he came out and said the discussions that he's had with Australian management are not suggesting that he will be asked to open in the test team going forward thank goodness for that but what about the other two that they're talking about? Which is, firstly, Mitchell Marsh being an opening batsman in the test team. And then, if not Mitchell Marsh, Cameron Green 
being an opening batsman in the test team. I just don't understand this whole thing. Because someone can open in the white ball format doesn't mean they can open in the four-day format. The pitches are different, the conditions are different, the balls are different, the whole game is different. So Marsh coming out at the top of the order and smashing the ball around in the one-day game and Cameron Green doing the same sort of thing at T20 level does not mean that they are capable of being that person who can bat at the top of the order in a test match and see off the new ball, which is what an opening batsman's job is to do in the test match. It's there to nullify the attack, to see off the new ball, and then hopefully move on and score runs themselves. Mark Waugh opened for Australia in one-day cricket for quite some time, and Adam Gilchrist opened with him for quite some time, and they were extremely successful. But no one ever believed that those two were technically good enough to open in a test match for Australia because they batted at five and at seven, respectively. And that was that was their positions in the test team. And the same thing applies here. I don't care about the way England play their cricket at the moment and that the fact that they've got guys at the top who are going hard and trying to you know rule out uh, technical... Um, excellence by just trying to hit the ball over the top to the boundary and scoring as many runs as you can and putting the bowlers off. We can't possibly entertain having someone like either Mitch Marsh or Cameron Green being our opening batsman in Test cricket. It would destroy what the Test team is. It would destroy the fabric of our Test team is in Australia. We have all these players in Australia who are opening the batting at shield level in the hope that they then become the opener at test level. And that's what it should be. You should have these three guys who we've already mentioned, and then you also have other guys. They have Will Pekofsky. You have Henry Hunt. You have Caleb Jewell. All of these guys who are trying to find their way as openers at shield level so that they can one day open the open the batting for Australia in a test match. And not because... And not work their way in shield cricket and score the number of runs they would have to do in shield cricket to make the test team and instead see someone who's batting at six and getting easier times and easier runs just suddenly being elevated in the test team so we can fit in more all-rounders, which is pretty much what they're trying to do. They want Marsh and Green in the same team so they've got more all-rounders in this team um, and they want these guys to be able to score quickly and make runs faster than they currently are in the hope of replacing David Warner who has more or less done that for most of his career except for the last two years and it would be a disaster it would be a fucking disaster if they decided to go that way because they, if they do that if they put Marsh or Green at the top of the order and they play the West Indies and they do alright against the West Indies whose attack is not strong at the moment but then we go to New Zealand and we're not going to be able to do it against New Zealand's bowling attack and then next summer we've got India, and India would just find that out because their bowlers are too smart for the defensive capabilities of those two guys at the top of an order against the new ball on a fresh pitch. It just won't happen. So let's hope this gets nipped in the bud really quick and that we don't go down this track. Because if we do, not only are we... I believe, destroying, as I said, the fabric of cricket in Australia and the way that we select our teams and the way that players are brought up 
to try and make it into the Australian cricket team, we'd be destroying our test team full stop because we're giving guys a chance to continue to do what they do at one-day level and T20 level at test level, and yet if they fail, they'll just say, oh, well, we'll just drop them back down the order again and give them a rest and keep them in the team. And this is part of the problem. Let's give our specialist batters and our specialist openers the chance to make it into the test team and become like Chris Rogers did for the mid-2010s when he came into the team when we were in desperate need of an opening batter and he came in for two years and did the job remarkably well. And now Kawaja has come in and done that exact same thing. And that's what we need for the next opening batter and the one after Kawaja as well. Those guys who are willing to come in and sacrifice everything to be not out and then be able to score runs once they've seen off the danger. Okay, that's the end of today's discussion. Thanks for tuning in. I hope maybe uh, we spoke about some stuff that you were interested in and perhaps you agreed with what I said and perhaps you didn't. And hopefully it uh, will provide you with some conversation pieces with uh, anyone else you know who be watching the first test when it starts. Um, I can't wait for the test series to start. I'm assuming if you're listening to this program, you're probably in exactly the same boat. And let's hope that it's a competitive series where obviously we all want Australia to win, but we want to see Australia win, but we want to see competitive cricket. We want to see Pakistan being able to hold our batsmen accountable and the same with their batters to our bowlers.